Welcome to the Data Bytes podcast brought to you by Women in Data. My name is Sadie St. Lawrence, and it's my pleasure to be your host for these weekly interviews where we share inspiring stories, thought leaderships, and discussions to help you excel in your data career. At Women in Data, our mission is to increase diversity in data careers, and we do this through awareness, education, and empowerment. Dr. Marshall, welcome to the podcast. So happy Hello. to be chatting with you today. <laughs> yes. How you doing, Sadie? <laughs> doing well. Doing really well. So happy we were able to have this conversation because I feel like you have been everywhere in my social feed. You got it down. <laughs> I, I opened up my email this morning and it was uh, from Data Science for All. And it was like, hey, you should buy this book. It's a great author. I was like, oh, it is because I'm talking with her later today. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think I think you got that. I got the same email. I think it's Data Science for Everyone um, from, yes. the, from the learning agency and they're spotlighting my book which is so awesome so yeah I try to be everywhere I mean that's the beauty of being in digital space right like you can mm -hmm. <laughs> everywhere but yet not physically move anywhere <laughs> yeah. I know I, I'm a big um, Marvel comics fan and I love the idea of the multiverse and especially the most recent one with Dr. Strange, where there's multiple versions of you in different universes, right? I think that's a little bit of what we got going on here today. So just a little bit, a little bit of yeah. smoke and mirrors. <laughs> Anyways, well, we have a lot to cover. So let's dive in, you know, definitely want to talk about your book, um, dive into some AI ethics, but so curious of how you got started in this space. Like, what is your story and what were those memorable points along your career journey? Oh my goodness. I'm gonna try to keep this as short as possible. It started <laughs> when I was very young by rolling coins. I'm dating myself. <laughs> so uh, if you remember rolling coins with your, with your parents or some uh, grown up, that's where it kind of started. And then organizing membership for my dad as he was um, volunteering for one of his, um, you know, ER, ERGs is what they call them now, right? But mm -hmm. it was just an organization within his company that he was volunteering for. Um, that's how it started. And then it went to how am I going to make money? Because... <laughs> I need to make sure that when I got to college, I was going to have a degree that was valuable. And so I, could, I chose computer science because I love math. And I saw computer science as creative math, right? It's like math with a twist for me. So computer science was my, my home and uh, I loved it. And then I realized, okay, this dot-com thing is going to bust. <laughs> I cannot <laughs> go I can't be going into industry. Again, I'm dating myself. Um, and so I decided to go to grad school because I figured I would stay in school uh, until I could not school anymore. And that's what I did. So I continued <laughs> on and got my PhD. Uh, I love the internet and figuring out like how in the world did these web rankings happen? So that's what I did my dissertation mm -hmm. on. What and it's and scientifically it's called rank aggregation algorithm. So if you want to look up my dissertation, go for it. You can read the 160 some pages if you want to. I suggest you just read my book. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
Um, and so once I finished with graduate school, I really didn't know what I really wanted to do. I knew that I enjoyed teaching. I knew that I really wasn't cut out for corporate or for um, research lab work. So I moved to, to academia and thought that would be the place I would be for my entire career. Um, but, you know, twists and turns happen, right? <laughs> you, you experience the joys and the pains of the workplace and realize that there are other things <laughs> that you want to do. So my classroom is now the interwebs. <laughs> you know, I'm not confined by buildings. I just want to make sure that there is some public data education. So that's a little bit of my story. I can go into more depth, but I think that'll take too long, Sadie. I really do. <laughs> no, there's some key points in your story that I really love, which is one, you had these almost pivot points, like, and were able to get clear on like who you really are and what you really love, right? I, I've never heard computer science described as more creative math. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to use that, right? Like, that's beautiful. Like, that's the perfect way to describe it. And so diving into that and like falling in love with the web, but then, you know, also loving education. And now you're in a world where you're like, hey, it was time to pivot, but you combine the two things you were in together to make this new career that's unique to yourself. And I think we have so many career changers in our community. And I tell them all the time, don't throw everything out that you did before. Use that to propel you to the next step. And I love your story because that's exactly what you did, right? You took all the unique experiences and characteristics of who you are yep. and found a path to carve out your own voice, which is just really powerful. Well, it's also about listening to what people want to hear from me, right? So people would ask me questions about higher ed and then I would tell them things, right? And they would be like, oh, that was good. Because I always say all the time, higher ed is broken. I've been saying it since 2018, higher ed is broken. Like it's broken, y'all. So just be clear, it's broken. <laughs> so if you're, you're having tensions with it, it's designed that way. And how do you navigate through those? And people wanted to hear my thoughts about you know, the ethics and the implications of technology because I have this computer science background, right? Have all the degrees in computer science. So I can talk about algorithms. I can talk about um, data structures. I can talk about databases. I can talk about data stewardship and data ethics in ways that people without the background can't. Um, I can mm -hmm. see issues and problems before they arise, right? I can laugh at some of the ridiculousness of what we've seen over the past, I don't know, 60 days or so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and be like, yep, saw that coming. Yep, saw that coming. I have other predictions as well, right? I think there will be some tech bankruptcies in our future um, and, and things like that, right? So, and then people are just kind of like, ooh, okay, like she has something to say. Um, and then I just say the things that people sometimes are thinking. I just let it out um, because I've seen it. I've seen it. I, I was part of the dot-com bust boom era. <laughs> so <laughs> I saw the trends of how, how the world behaved before, during the boom and what happened in the bust. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I'm seeing very similar patterns now. Yeah, maybe a little deja vu going on here. 
Very much so. I'm seeing a lot of the very, very much the same, same trends and how companies are behaving, how um, potential employees are behaving. Um, but unfortunately, we have this big monkey on our back called AI, which is an umbrella for everything computational, <laughs> data, tech, um, machine learning, deep learning, like all it's automated decision systems, all the things. <laughs> it's just become this umbrella term that people are continuing to use and think that AI will solve our problems and it creates harms. So given that you've seen a little bit more of the world than maybe some people who have been listening, who are listening to this show, right? You've seen a cycle of boom and bust in tech. And yeah. I, I have the feeling that you're predicting we may be going through a bust here soon. What advice do you have to people who are used to pretty stable economic environment, particularly in tech, right? Like for the past, you know, 10 years, it's like, you need to get into tech, you need to learn how to code, you need to learn AI. And then we're hearing that companies, big tech companies are starting to lay off people. What should somebody's mindset be around this, given that you've kind of seen this cycle happen before? Yeah, I think there is a, a real need to niche down. Like the general person who knows how to code like that anyone could learn that honestly I mean you have mm -hmm. to have some you know hankering towards solving problems and detailed orientedness in order for that to happen um, of course not trying to minimize those those aspects of of someone's skill set but you need to have your thing <laughs> my tech jam is databases so I love data um, modeling and organization and things like that. That's me, right? Um, mm -hmm. So I'll get into that. Um, so as far as like coding in Python or C++, I don't do it as much, right? Mm -hmm. um, but you give me an SQL query and I'm gonna kinda have at it. <laughs> 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 and I think that's what I would say for anyone who is concerned about their you know, stability in tech mm -hmm. is is that tech goes through these waves mm -hmm. and you need to be able to have your niche you need to have your your tech jam so to speak and when you when you know your jam <laughs> you continue to harp on what your jam is okay yes. um you and you always you always got to be ready i mean i think that is the the power of me being a black woman is that I'm always underestimated. So I always have other tools in my tool set. And I think a lot of people who are listening to this um, just know you have many more tools in your tool set. So you look at your resume, you look at all the products you've done and you start to piece out what are some of those themes so that you can reconstruct your resume um, in order to highlight your strengths and show evidence. And I think that's something that a lot of women don't do, but I'm learning how to do that a whole lot better, right? And that, you know, helped me get to the book and helped mm -hmm. me get through the book. And so I started going like, ooh, like I'm a writer. Yeah. <laughs> and I had, I had to like come to that, like, ooh, I am a writer. Like I thought I hated writing, but I am a writer. Um, and, and that's a different skill set. And I'm trying to mm -hmm. hone that skill set, right? Um, I don't think I'm a good speaker, but I'm honing that skill set. <laughs> so, so much of that is, 
And I think a lot of that is like updating our own mental models of ourselves, right? Yes. Like we also yes. have this algorithm that's been pre-trained of who we are. Of like, I'm not a writer. I'm not a speaker. And we got to put some new data feeds in there and be like, okay, maybe this is something we could do, right? Like I'm always trying to update my personal data model. I'm like, okay, what do I want this to be? So exactly. in September, 2022, you released this amazing book, Data Conscious Algorithmic Seeds on Our Humanity. Yes. You know, you, you highlighted a little bit in terms of how to update your own mental model that you are a writer. And obviously you are, you're not just a writer, you're an author, right? So yeah, you can update yes. that too. <laughs> I got to update it again, right? I just say writer. Yes, author. Yes. Published <laughs> author of a book. Yes, there we go. <laughs> Soon to be bestseller, New York Times bestseller, you know, we'll, we'll keep yeah, updating. Let's go ahead. Let's say that. Yeah, let's say that. Let's say that. <laughs> so what, what was the inspiration behind this? Because it obviously didn't seem like it stemmed from something of like, oh, I just, you know, I've always had this book in me and love writing. So where, where did this inspiration need come from? This came out of my own frustration. And I think that's where a lot of things come out, especially for us as women, right? Like we notice there's gaps and we're like, let's fill the gap. So that's essentially what happened. I was in, I've been in the data field probably since I started graduate school, since I've been loving databases and things. But then at a, about 2015, I started to be like, oh, there's this thing called data science. Okay, they're put a label to something that is in my wheelhouse. It's bigger than databases, but it, in, it includes this thing called analysis and storytelling and all this other stuff. Um, and I was looking for resources on how could I explain data science in a way that wasn't so sciencey. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm the tech person with the PhD in computer science going like, mm -hmm. I want to take the science out of data. Like, does that make sense? And I wanted to make it digestible and relatable to people because as I was talking about how I saw data science as being broader than just like machine learning and AI and deep learning, people were like, so you, would you include the social sciences? Yes, I would. Would you include data governance? Yes, I would. Mm -hmm. And I was looking for resources and all I could find was a bunch of papers and then books written by social scientists and people in the humanities. And all of those books were really good they were, they're great books, but then they didn't come from a science person's background, that analytical background that kind of dove into some of the algorithmic work. And I wanted a book that had that. So since I couldn't find it, I wrote it. And the other part that it stemmed from was that everybody who was cited in the papers that I found were of the same demographic. <laughs> the white and Asian man. <laughs> and I was like, I'm so sick of this. Can we, yeah. can we get, can we get some flavor inside of this? Yeah. Please, please, baby, please. And so as I was finding resources of people who were, you know, historically excluded from women, LGBTQ plus communities, um, indigenous communities, and, and also included white men, Asian men, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I wanted just an actual inclusionary type of reference guide. Um, for someone who is trying to have a conversation about data ethics and be it as a welcoming conversation, not one where everything is downtrodden and there's no suggestions, there's no recommendations. So 
yeah, that's where it stemmed stem from. So a lot of my references have people from all different backgrounds. <laughs> a lot of the book comes with, you know, a, a one section that's just about like the history. And then I move into tech, real, real heavy into like tech ideals and concepts. And then I move to regulation and compliance things. So it, it's a guide, like, here's all the things <laughs> instead of for you having to like piecemeal it from, you know, 50 different websites. Yeah, I love the saying necessity is the mother. Uh, this is so true in the birth of this, right? It was, hey, I, there's something missing here. There's a white space. And I admire your courageousness to go out and fill that white space, right? To say, I'm tired of hearing the same old voices being <laughs> said. Let's add a little more spice to this, a little more flavor, yes. right? Let's bring this into the conversation. So you get this inspiration. And then what was that process like? I know there's quite a few people in our community who are starting to see a white space for a book yeah. popping up. But I mean, your first time being an author, yeah, that must a be lot. a daunting task, you know? <laughs> a lot, <laughs> a lot. Creating the proposal to think through what were the chapters, um, how long the book is going to be. Going through a book proposal process, I would suggest anyone to do that because you actually are thinking about what is the word count? What is the content of each chapter, right? Like give yourself goalposts. Um, and that process was scary. Like I was like, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do this? I don't even know who competitors would be. Cause I was like, who, who would be a competitor for the book? Who would be like, styled books with this like I have no idea so having to go through that exercise provided me with um some understanding of what the landscape was already out there of what I already like knew in my gut and felt as I was researching but I could put down on paper I winded up changing the chapters about halfway through writing it because I was like oh, okay what I did before that th that was just like first draft like I really <laughs> now understand what I'm supposed to do I had to write a couple chapters find my voice that was the hardest part mm. was finding my voice so the first two three chapters it, it there was a lot of edits y'all <laughs> because I was still very much writing like I was writing for an academic paper and I wasn't writing it as a conversation so by the time you get to chapter 11, I'm real comfortable with y'all. I'm like, yeah, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm thinking. This is how it's working, you know, and it, but the first few chapters was very difficult. So yeah, the process is daunting, but it's one in which I've seen myself grow and understand um, what I believe, why I believe it, and how do I articulate that um, on paper. So if you had any advice for others interested in writing a book, what would that be? Oh, I have lots of advice. The first thing that I did that I thought was like, in hindsight, I was brilliant, is I created a newsletter. I know, I know, right? Like I'm calling myself brilliant, kind of obnoxious, but no, it's not really because we as women don't do that enough. So yeah, I was brilliant. I didn't know I was. I created a newsletter that... Um, was a monthly newsletter where I gave updates on my book progress. Mm -hmm. And so that made it so 
that I had to write something for me to have something to say. Because what had happened was people signed up for the newsletter. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, I have 50 people. I need to tell them something. Okay, Um, (laughs) let me do that. Um, so, and then it wind up growing, which was awesome. So people saw like the whole journey. So that is a definitely a piece of advice. It helps with accountability. I think the second piece of advice is block out time. Like I blocked mm-hmm. out time, like chunks of time, two, three, four hours in order to work on the book and working on the book means reading, means writing, mm-hmm. means thinking, thinking. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how often I've had my phone and I've just like typed like sentences up in um, some type of document and then um, translated it to a chapter. Um, And don't go in order, just whatever thoughts Mm -hmm. come to you, write it down um, is another piece of it. Just write it, write down everything that comes through your consciousness um, because you don't know what chapter it's gonna be used for and you can pick it up anywhere, but yeah. Those would be the, the big piece of the advice. If you want to know more advice, I think you just need to talk to me. But there's just so much advice that I would I would do, I would, I would do again, um, do different if I do it again, and things that I would just tell someone who's trying to write a book what to do um, and how to keep themselves motivated. Um, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> well, I think those are good at least meaty enough pieces that people could take it and run with and then after they're stuck they can come back to you for more but now I want to dive into really meat of the book I mean the tagline is algorithmic siege on our humanity and so my first question is like are we all doomed with AI like can you give us the (laughs) the cliff notes here like what is the siege that we're under so I think the siege we're under is and I'm starting to really articulate this better I don't think I did as good of a job in the book but um the 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 fun part of humanity is the path of discovery figuring out the journey and being on the journey is part of what makes us human and what AI and just automated decision systems in general are, are now doing is crossing that line. It's making things that are supposed to be something you discover, something that's already done for you. I'm putting in that bucket AI generated art. AI generated writing tools, AI um, generated fill in the blank, right? Coding, I mean, everything. We need as humans in order to be able to discover things. <laughs> and if and, and the algorithmic siege is the fact that algorithms are trying to do not just the mundane tasks, but do the, the fun stuff, right? And number one, they don't do it well. <laughs> They're like two-year-olds trying to do it. So it's like tragic and waste all of the food at the same time. You're like, oh my God, <laughs> so much good material you had two-year-old and then you just wasted the whole bottle of juice. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but then also it's just this, this notion that we just kind of sit back and let it happen. And I really want to galvanize people and, motiv- and motivate folks um, that you have more agency 
in this conversation. It's not doomed. There is in fact, a lot of hope. What I put in the book, in the meaty part, the second part of the book is a lot of questions. I say, here are some questions that you can ask <laughs> if you're sitting in the, in the room and people are telling you some things that make you tilt your head and make mm -hmm. your stomach kind of do a flip or your face do like scrunch up a bit. You're like, wait a second, hold up. Who owns this data again? Yeah. Right? Hold up. Who is, how is accessibility, accessibility working right now? Like, you know, and like really start to hone in on some of these key questions before the product goes out um, mm -hmm. into the world. Because what I've found is that the role of tech has been to release something and then have other people tell them that it's bad or wrong and they just patch it they don't retract it back yes <laughs> um and so i want to galvanize people and and uh, mobilize individuals in order to to say let's not release the product let's mm -hmm. let's not put it in the world if it's if if it's not going to go through some screening and let's start yeah. to put some screening in place at every step in the data life cycle. Um, and I call us rebel techies. <laughs> so <laughs> like, come join me and be a rebel techie and ask these questions. I, I'm a big fan of empowering the people. And I think questions are such a great way to get started with that. So like, what are some of the top questions that one should be asking, whether you're on the data team, you're in the business. I mean, I'm guessing these are questions that anyone can ask. As you mentioned, like we should be asking these questions before we release it to the public. And most of these companies releasing these products are not small teams. You should have a diverse enough audience that you can really test it internally before releasing it. So what are those questions we should be asking? Uh, so one question that I love asking um, is, where did the data come from? It's such a simple question, right? <laughs> no one knows the answer. I mean, it goes to legal. And you're just like, I just asked where this data came from. <laughs> because everyone has a product idea. And with their product idea, they then want to test it out on some data set you get a data set magically falls down from the sky and you just ask the question where the data come from because if the data is not really owned by the company and that could mean they bought it or did they just skim it off of their stakeholders mm -hmm. bad ethics um, and then what was the purpose of that data that was collected right um, because a lot of times there is repurposing of data and that means that you're gonna have a poorly constructed data set from the beginning. Um, I love asking, the second question I love asking is like, why are we doing this? Hmm. Again, shuts down rooms. <laughs> <laughs> why, why, why is this product important? <laughs> and yes. so a lot of the um, malfeasance we've seen in the tech industry, especially this year, the question is always, so how is this product, like what problem is this solving? That's another way of saying mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. what, what problem is this solving? Because there is no problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so there's no point in having this product. So let's not have the product, but people don't wanna just admit that there's no problem. Um, 
And then um, I think the third most popular question that I love to ask is about accessibility. Mm. I, I ask, so what audience have <laughs> you engaged this, this particular product or service in? And, Those are great. And again, nope, they don't want to talk about it. They want the abled, white, male, rich yeah. person. And you're just like, okay. Powerful questions. I mean, and even just three questions, there's a lot of follow-on questions that can come from that and really start to just shine some light on the purpose and fit for society. So I think those are helpful and I hope that all of us start asking those questions as we move forward, either designing, creating, or interacting with products. In a broader term, though, you know, you taught you talked a little bit about the, the dot-com boom and bust and some similarities, but where do you really see like the biggest concerns with AI? And if you just took our current trend line trajectory and had mm-hmm. a crystal ball, right? Where do you see us headed? We're, we're headed actually, I think on a collision course, I think AI is, is, is starting to fray at the edges. Mm -hmm. I think that there's a constant and loud stampede coming of people going, do we really need AI here? Um, I think that there's a lot of concern over not only our data privacy, but also why is this all this data being collected about us that we don't know about, that we do know about, and that's being monetized about us. So I think people are pulling away from the global platforms and going to start to retreat into private um, Mm -hmm. groups. And we, we started to see that in 2022. We started to see people kind of pull away from, from global platforms. But I think AI is trying to continue on the global scale and it's going to have to retract and then really niche down to, to particular areas and being used more as a seasoning versus as the meat mm-hmm. um, of tech. And I think that's where that trajectory is, I think is where we're headed. Cause I think there's enough public conversation and enough scientific conversation, enough educational conversation about like, what are we really doing? Like, why are we creating these um, services and tools and products? And there's no problem that we're solving. We're just doing it to do it. And that's not sufficient enough that was sufficient 20 years ago, it's not sufficient anymore. We are combating cyberbullying and identity theft and social engineering and scammers and, 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 and. We just don't have the care or the capacity to do this anymore. When when you're seeing this shift on privacy and the use of AI, is this shift coming really from policymakers or is it from the general public raising their voices? Like who's leading the charge in this, would you say today? I think that it is not policymakers. 
<laughs> I think policymakers, I think, are the last. They they get on the bandwagon when they know it is important to their constituents and meaning mm-hmm. dollars. Um, but I think it is um, everyday people who have been impacted negatively by. I mean, I can't meet anybody within that says, "Oh yeah, I've never been harmed by tech." Everyone now has been scammed out of some money. Um, know somebody who's been scammed out of some money, been mm-hmm. cyberbullied or trolled, same category, mm-hmm. or know someone who's been cyberbullied or trolled. Or had their identity taken. I mean, the list could go on, right? We don't have a long enough <laughs> talk. <of> that stuff. <laughs> we don't have a long enough talk. to all that stuff. Well, exactly. But everybody knows somebody if it's not you. Yeah. Or you're trying to protect someone in your family, right, from this happening to them. So enough people have had enough experience to be like, okay, hold up, let's let's stop the bus, <laughs> take a get, get to the rest stop, let's get out, mm-hmm. let's survey what's going on first before we get back in the bus and keep going, right? How much gas do we have? Is is, is everyone eating? <laughs> right? Like we're like we got to do these like checks right Mm -hmm. is is everyone accounted for right we didn't lose anybody from the last stop you know there's a there's a there's a a personal accountability everyone now has because they understand that they have not only their physical or analog life they also have their digital life and they do check-ins on both so how do we start to move forward in a space where we can continue to innovate with technology because not everything that's come out with technology has been bad right but it's kind of like this pendulum swing that is as much positive change that happens on the right hand side then it swings to the left and there's a, a negative impact right right so how do we move forward in a space where we can continue to innovate but build safe and equitable tech that really benefits all and just not a select group of people. <laughs> well, I think we start that conversation by, you know, not shamelessly plug my book, actually read books by people who actually have thought mm-hmm. about these things. I think that's number one. So get, get your own mindset shift right, right? So, and then work toward data citizenship. Everyone is a data person to me. Mm-hmm. Everyone touches data, either you're a part of the system or you're, you're, you're producing and you're also are um, engaging in data, everybody. Um, but I think we move toward making um, more humanity-centered tech is when we put people at the center, <laughs> like actual people. What problem are we solving? What do we hope to get out the end? Because we've all been part of tech teams where the problem is one thing, what comes out is something completely different. Yeah. Oh, we thought the product was gonna do X. It winds up doing Y. We'll just switch our PR and our marketing so that we now take this product and we do something else. We've all seen that. We've all experienced that, right? So I think we, we put people at the center. What is the problem? What are we trying to solve? And if we don't have a problem, then let's not try to solve that non-problem. <laughs> yeah. 
And there's right. plenty of problems out there to be solved. So let's also refocus our time and efforts on what yeah. matters and what's going to make it. Exactly. And let's use what's already out there. There are people in this industry that have put together some tools that actually are working toward you know, participatory design that's working toward equitable tech, that's working toward making sure that there is uh, ways to quantifiably measure the amount of, of potential harms in a system. Don't recreate the wheel. Like let's, in tech, we tend to do that. Oh, our thing is better than their thing. We in this like little battle. Let's not white tech bro this let's let's get let's community this right like that person mm -hmm. that's their thing can we build off of that can we collaborate with them can we partner with them rather than trying to create a separate thing and get into this ego battle well one thing i know about all of our listeners is everyone wants to build a better world with technology so i'm going to take the first piece of advice that you said, which is go read Dr. Marshall's book, <laughs> Data <laughs> Conscious. We'll have a link in the show notes so that everybody can um, take a peek and dive in and help learn and unlearn and make sure that we start asking the right questions, which is yes. key. Yes, very, very much so. Thank you so much. This has been fantastic. <laughs> well, don't go anywhere too fast because okay. I love okay. to end with some rapid fire questions. Oh, so, rapid fire, I'm right? Oh, I I'm forgot. I forgot. For <laughs> <laughs> and so it'll be quick, and then I'll get you. Let's get out of here. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, what is a book that you can't put down right now? That I can't put down. There's too many books. Okay. Um, <laughs> I can't put down um, W.E.B. Du Bois portraits, and that is visualizing Black America. I love that book. I love looking at the infographics. I love looking at the history um, and how he was able to, how him and the team was able to accomplish so much, um, given it was the late 1800s when that was created. So I just, as I said, love that book. My bookshelves are full because I get the best book recommendations on this show. And so I'm like already like, oh, I need to make some more space for that one. <laughs> All right. Yes. Favorite place you've traveled? Favorite place would be Venice, mm -hmm. Italy. Favorite place. Love the food. Love the atmosphere. It's very laid back and relaxed. We went in the summer. It's great. Just chill. Fill in the blank. Happiness is oh. happiness is wellness. In the next five years, I hope to. In the next five years, I hope to. So many dreams. Oh my God, so many dreams. Okay. In the next five years, I hope to have thousands of members in my Black women in data community. Yes, I hope that for you too. <laughs> it would be so awesome. Just Black women in yes. the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Just, yes, just, just 
just doing the thing, just enjoying ourselves. Yes. <laughs> Maybe a trip to Venice in the process. I don't know. Yes. Like I'm some of these things. <laughs> yes. Venice, Bali, wherever. <laughs> All right. Last question. To me, curiosity is. Oh, to me, curiosity is data. Mm. I love it. There's no better way to end the podcast with that. You all heard it. <laughs> you love data, get curious because curiosity and data go hand in hand. So <laughs> what? data is not numbers, y'all. Holds <laughs> every conversation, Sadie, but I'll leave it there. Uh, we'll have to have you back. I feel like this will be a repeat kind of thing that we do, you know, once a year, check in, see how things are going. But again, thank you so much for coming on the show. For all of our listeners, we'll include um, links to your personal profiles, Black Women in Data, your book. Make sure that you get all the goodness and you don't want to miss out with connecting with Dr. Marshall. So thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me on the show. <laughs> this has been so much fun, Sadie. Can't wait to see us maybe doing something together. Somehow, yes. somehow. <laughs> I know. I feel like we need to share a stage or something somewhere. Yeah, so like a real that. stage, real stage. <laughs> yeah. <a> real stage. <laughs> I love it. I love well, again, it. thank you to all our listeners. Remember to stay curious and keep learning. We'll catch you next time on the Data Bites Podcast. If you enjoyed today's conversation on the Data Bites Podcast, we welcome you to continue the conversation and join our global community by becoming a member at womenindata.org. 